Today on this edition of the Forest City Church Podcast, lead pastor Eric Parks has the message for Easter Sunday titled, Imagine. Aaron Schrader has the introduction. The tomb is empty, but should I believe it? Or is this just another nightmare? I've made my peace. I gave up hope. My heart grew cold as I grieved for you. The tomb is empty and now you're gone again. An all too familiar feeling. Where do I go from here to grieve again or to hope again? Both equal risks for this fragile heart. Is this what you longed for? Hoped for? Prayed for? Have you done what only you can do? The tomb is empty. In those three days, have you done the unimaginable? Happy Easter. Bienvenidos feliz domingo de resurrección. Amen. We're so, so grateful. Thank you. Uh, I practiced. Um, we're so grateful that you're here celebrating Easter with us. For those that this is your home, um, we're so glad to be able to spend this time together. For those of you that are visiting with us for the first time, we're glad you're here. And you know, I was thinking about, I was thinking about children. Don't you just love children? Some of you are like, not today, bro, not today, because I had to get them ready, and I had to get them to church, and they got all dressed up, and then you put donuts out there, and the donuts got on their face, and then on the clothes that we just bought. Look, I'm sorry, I know, but still, in general, don't you love children? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about kids, and what, what's so fun about children is, like, they, they, they have this ability to imagine that anything is possible, Right? You've seen it. And the truth is, like, you used to have that, too. Because how many of you can remember back to when you were a kid? We all did this, or I bet you a lot of you did. You turned your house into a liquid lava place, right, where all the, ca- all the carpet was lava. And then the couch, you had to hop from thing to thing for no particular reason other than it's lava, don't touch it, right? Or, or I remember hours upon hours standing out on a brick wall, throwing a baseball, pretending to be Ozzie Smith from the St. Louis Cardinals, right? Thinking, I'm going to be a St. Louis Cardinal someday. And for many of you, you're like, well, thank God that didn't happen. <laughs> you're like, because we would not let you in this region. Um, you know, kids have this ability to imagine. Like, they just do. In fact, researchers will tell you that before the age of five... Almost all children really do believe themselves to be artists, like professional artists. But if you ask those same children the same question about how they saw themselves, by the time they turn 18, about 10% less than that, sees themselves as someone who has really any sort of creative or imaginative instinct. Something along the way in us, as we grow up, begins to kill our imagination. We, we lose the ability somewhere along the line to dream, to think the way we did as children. I mean, maybe this is why Jesus loved children so much, but as I was thinking about what is it, 
What is it in us that kills our imagination? In a room this size, there are as many reasons why we fail to dream as there are people in the room. But as I talked to friends and began to think about what is it, why do we stop dreaming? Why can't we imagine anymore? The truth is it comes down to just a few things. And as a visual representation, if you were to imagine this canvas as your life, when you were a kid, you really believed that anything you painted on that could be true and could come true. But then you start living life. And you start to realize, well, that's silly. I think the first thing I thought about, what is it that gets in the way of our imagination? First thing I thought about was this. There's probably no imagination killer that kills more dreams than that. A little bit of pain, right? You get some pain, you start to realize that maybe all the things I thought were true just aren't true. And then I said, well, I wonder what the second thing is. What's, what's the two things? Because we only have a few minutes. And this was the thing that came to mind. Pain. And failure. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Pain and failure. You know, if I were going to talk about today's message and I were going to give it a title, I'd give it the title, Pain and Failure Walked into a Tomb. You know, we as Christians, when we're at our best, the reality is when we are at our best, we are the ones who dare to believe in God's power to call dead things to life. We are the dreamers. But for many of us, we've lost that ability. So I want to talk about this first one, imagination killer number one, it's pain. And for many of us, we've experienced for real pain in our life. And that, that might come in the form of a cancer diagnosis or something that's happened to us physically. And that, that's real. But then there's others of us that have experienced different kinds of pain, emotional pain, things that have happened along the way that one day in that one place. Whatever pain you've experienced, whatever it looks like, here's what I know about pain. There is no teacher more efficient than pain. Anybody? There is no teacher more efficient than pain because it only takes one time touching that hot plate to understand, don't touch that again right? It only takes one interaction with pain for us to be wired in a particular way to not go back there. In fact, emotional pain is interesting because it affects, it affects us as much as physical pain does physically. That trauma that you had as a child that you've tried to forget, that exchange with your spouse that you can't get out of your mind, it actually affects your limbic system. And that's why when you walk into a situation that smells or looks like a situation you've been in before, something actually physically happens to you. This is pain. And it is a dream killer. I want you to introduce, I want to introduce you to the first person to visit the tomb. She knew pain. John 20, verse 1 says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. 
Now, I love that the Bible says early in the morning. I don't know if you've ever had something so crazy on your mind that you couldn't sleep. You've ever had one of those nights where you just couldn't sleep, and so then you roll over and you grab your phone. By the way, that does not help put you back to sleep, okay? You grab your phone, you start looking at Instagram or doing whatever it is you do, and then pretty soon, like, you can't get your mind off of it, so you just get up. You're like, fine, I'm just gonna get up. And it's four o'clock in the morning, and, and you're working or riding the Peloton or doing whatever it is that you do. See, this was Mary. This, this pain was so fresh and deep that it says, while it was still dark, she had not anything else to do. She begins to head to the tomb. Now, who is, who is Mary? Because I think for you to understand the story, you have to understand Mary. Mary Magdalene was this woman who interacted with Jesus sometime before this, but it absolutely fundamentally changed her life. So much so, her interaction with Jesus, this miracle that takes place, is so formative, so life-changing, that she becomes a devoted follower of Jesus. She follows him. Bible tells us that out of her own wealth, she funded Jesus and the needs of his disciples. She was so invested in this dream. She gave everything to it. In fact, this is what's interesting. She was so fearless and invested that when all the other dudes took off running, when Jesus got in trouble, you know she was the only one left. Ladies, you hear what I'm saying? All the dudes left and it was the lady still standing. What? She goes to the foot of the cross. She's like, I'm in on this dream. I believe in this thing. I've given my whole life to it. This is Mary. And I don't know if you've had something like that in your life, a dream, and that resonates with you, something that you've stuck with, that you believed in, a marriage, a career, a job, a business that you said, I'm sticking with this. It's going to turn around. This thing's going to turn around. It's going to turn around. And then it doesn't. The pain that that inflicts, man, that is real. I mean, pain teaches you what isn't going to happen, doesn't it? This business isn't going to work. This marriage isn't going to last. This career isn't going to happen. See, this is Mary. She wakes up that morning, and she wakes up to the reality that anybody who's tasted pain wakes up to, and that is that in the end, pain wins. It's imagination killer. But so is failure. I want to introduce you to the second imagination killer, which is failure. Now, I don't know if you've ever had failure in your life, but let me tell you the interesting thing about failure is that um, when it happens, oftentimes pain and failure, they are connected. And pain, I, lo I look at this, and this might be things that happen to you. But failure, this is something you do to yourself, right? Something you messed up. And if you want to see somebody in the same situation as Mary, but on the other side of the pen pendulum, you have to understand who Peter is. Now, Peter, he too had his life changed by Jesus. He too gave his everything to Jesus, followed him. He was one of the 12 disciples. He was one of the three that were closest to Jesus. And this dude had a lot of like swagger. The Bible would tell you, he was like, listen, Jesus, when it goes down, bro, you, I'm there. I'm there. You can count on me. 
I'm the only one you can count on. All these other dudes, they're not going to hang with you. I'm going to be with you till the end. That's what, that was his talk. That's what he said. And then, and then, it happened. Luke chapter 22, it says, Peter followed at a distance. This is when Jesus had been picked up. It's right before he's going to be put to death. And it, Peter realizes, oh, oh, this is getting real. Like, he's going to die. What does that mean for me? And so the Bible tells us that he followed at a distance. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. And then, when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, and they'd sat down together, Peter sat down with him. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, hey, this man is with him, with Jesus. And he shot back. He goes, woman? By the way, fellas, don't ever start a conversation with woman. That is not going to end well for you. Just note it. Note it. He says, woman, I am not with him. I don't know him. He, he, he denies Jesus two more times, three in total. Then he hears a rooster crow and realizes that all he had given his life to, all this big talk, all this stuff, he failed. He was a, he was a failure. You know, I think the toughest part when it comes to being someone who's failed is that too often we realize that our dreams aren't going to come true, not because we're unlucky or pain came our way, because here's the reality. I'm at the center of it because I'm the reason this whole thing went down. I'm the one who had the affair. I'm the one who made the mistake. I'm the one who cheated on that exam. That was me. It's my fault. And if that's what I did, that's probably how it's always going to turn out. You know, if you've been around here for very long, um, you'll hear me talk about failure and pain. Like, you're like, probably like, bro, like, man, it's like, you know these things. Who do you know that's had some pain and some failure in their life? And I'm like, me. <laughs> Like me. In fact, if you came and you're like, what I would like is a really put together perfect pastor, you should probably look for another place because um, that's not me. I know failure. I know in my mid-20s, having a marriage that almost breaks completely apart. I know being the one that's responsible for that. I know all that. I know feeling like I'll be disqualified forever. I know it all. This was Peter, right? This fellow failed. And it's why, like, when we see him, Mary's walking early in the morning to mourn. But I want you to pay attention to how, Jesus, or how Peter's walking to the tomb. In John chapter 20, if you read ahead to verse 3, it says, So Peter went out with the other disciples. They've both been told that maybe something's going on. And I'm going to read the whole passage to you in a minute, but look what it says. It says, Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. And I thought, why is that important? Sometimes the Bible puts these facts in there, and you're like, who cares? Who, what are, they, are they racing? But, but I, I started reading that, and I went, oh, well, that makes sense. Because if you've ever screwed something up, right? You, you've ever taking your parents' car when you're not supposed to and driven it and wrecked it? Oh, no, just, just me? Okay. <laughs> Duly noted. Uh, I can tell you who I didn't want to talk to first was my pop. 
I wanted my sister to be between me and his swing or his slap, right? Right? That's what I was making sure, like somebody. So, oh, I get Peter. Why is Peter running behind that disciple? Because he's about to see the dude that he just completely failed. And he just wants to make sure, like, if I see him, I want to see what his temperature is before I walk into the space. It's the walk of shame, right? So, the message is when pain and failure walk into the tomb. Now let me go to the book. And let me read this to you. It says in John chapter 20, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, she went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter. That's Peter, the failure. She said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we don't know where they put him, right? Because pain has told you the dream is over. What else would this be? So Peter and the other uh, disciples start toward the tomb. And then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still laying in his place, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. Peter was the first to go in. Mary stood outside the tomb. She was crying, right? Pain was crying. It says, as she wept, she bent over and looking at the tomb, and she saw two angels in white. They were, seated, they, they were seated where Jesus' body had been. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They said, she said, they've taken my Lord away. And I don't know where they put him. And at this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Pain will do this. You can't really see, can you? Pain will do this. Failure will do this. You can't really see what's happening right in front of you. She had, she, he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking that he was a gardener. Thinking that this was just a common moment. A normal time, she says, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I'll go get him. And then Jesus says to her, Mary. He calls her by name. When pain and failure enter a tomb, you know, I do not think it's an accident that the first two people that show up on Resurrection Sunday exemplify the two things that kill our imagination who cannot see what resurrection is all about. See, remember, because we at our best as followers of Jesus are people who believe that he has the power to bring dead things to life, but without imagination. We live in the pain and in the failure that we've known. Without imagination, we really believe pain is one. Failure has one. And Mary came to that tomb the same way Peter came to that tomb, 
expecting to see what the world had always seen. The pain and failure always wins. But it wasn't an accident that they were the first to. See, Easter is this place, this day, that shows that in spite of all, dead things really do come to life through Jesus. Dead dreams come to life. Dead marriages come to life. All of your pain, it has a purpose. And your failures, they are not permanent. That this faith, it is not built on perfection. This is Easter. Don't you see it? This is what Jesus came to do. To change in the end who wins. And while it's a journey to get past our pain, and it doesn't happen overnight, and while it's a journey to let go of our failure and it takes courage, the reality, it is days like this day, and it is churches like this church, where we continually remind each other week after work, week, listen, God has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you. Like, it's not over. You're like, bro, you're a broken record. I know because I need to hear it. He has a plan for me. He has a purpose for me. I know I've messed it up a bunch. I have experienced a bunch of pain, but he is going to use this because this is what our God does. He's in the resurrection business. He brings dead things to life. And so there are dead things coming to life around this place. I asked some friends, just for a minute, just for a minute, would you share, just for a minute, what Jesus has been doing in your life? I want you to check this out. It's more, this is more than a career, this, and it's more than houses and cars and family. Those are great. But when he's the true center of it all, then it just kind of explodes in life. I was just this lost, innocent soul that just really wanted to be loved by people. And I never, I never got that same love back that I gave out, so and I didn't really understand why. You know, I never got that same love back. I didn't even know what that was like until I got introduced to Jesus. You know, we, we tend to listen to the negative people around us and all the chaos going on in our lives and the people around us, and we end up getting consumed by that. You know, it's hard to get away from. And you know, this world, unfortunately, can be a very evil place, especially, you know, how I grew up and, you know, being from Rockford and stuff, there's a lot of demonic ways of living. There's a lot of hate and there's a lot of envy, you know, and it's, and it's really hard to, to get away from that. I started cutting off certain people from my life that I knew shouldn't be there anymore. I started making, you know, certain lifestyle changes. I quit doing drugs and, every, you know, I quit doing everything. I knew the first step was coming to the church. And um, shortly after I got here, I met my boy Carrington. Um, Carrington introduced me to Chad. And we started talking, you know, we, we quickly became friends. You know, me and Chad have actually grown pretty close over these past, you know, few months. And um, I don't even think he understands how much of an impact, you know, he's had on my life already and this church has had on my life. And that's, that's real. Why do I still say yes to following Jesus? Um, because, man, I followed a lot of other people and I followed people in this world. And no person, no... Um, no relationship, no uh, system, no nothing that is out here in this world 
um, compares to the love of Christ. He's always faithful, he's always good, he's never let me down. I've let him down, but he's never let me down. And when I do let him down, I can go back to him and say, you know how I let you down? Can you forgive me for that? And he says, yeah, I can do that. Let's keep moving, let's move on. Let's forgive that and, and move on. So I want you to use your imagination. We're gonna try for a minute. I want you to go back to Jesus in the garden. A few days before, a day before he dies, a few days before he's raised from the dead. And in the Bible, it tells us this, that in Luke chapter 22, verse 41, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, his disciples who had gone up with him. He was praying because he knew he was gonna to have to go to that, that cross. He knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Now, now look at that. If and yet. There are eight words between the word if and yet. But in that eight words, everything changed. Eight words. Jesus steps into this space and he knows the pain that he is about to go through. And he asks God, he goes, God, is there any other way that I could accomplish what needs to be done? Is there any other way I could go about this? And in those eight words, something flips. You can see it. Now, I don't know. The average human being has 15,000 thoughts in a day. That's like 938 thoughts every minute. So I don't know what went racing through this man's mind. I can tell you this, that something changed. And I got to thinking, I was imagining, did he see me in the space of that eight words? Broken and failed and hopeless. Like, did he, did he see you in your marriage? Did he see us? know but I know whatever it was man he said okay I'll do it because Jesus understood he he understood the work that he was about to go through and what he was going to do and in that moment he made the decision to put your forgiveness ahead of his glory to put your greatest need ahead of what he rightfully deserved and he put you first like in that moment he put you first he knew he couldn't have it both ways like we couldn't live free if something didn't die because res resurrection requires a death so he knew it was his he was going to go pay the price so that you and I in our pain in our fragility in our spaces of not understanding when we're lost counted out left out there would be a way, a new way, a new way where death doesn't win, where pain doesn't win, where failure doesn't win, but rather where his love did win. He, he was painting this brand new picture for us. We're in the end, love wins. In the end, like he won. 
And if you've experienced death and pain, it's okay. Because I bring things back to life. This is what he does. And I thought, man, what would it look like for us if we come to believe that? If our imagination could become unlocked to what Jesus wants to do in your life. He is not done. Your pain, I understand. But he's going to use it. Your failures, I get that. He is not through. He is in the redemptive work. Because remember, Christians, when we are at our best, we are the ones who dare to believe in God's power to call dead things to life. Could you imagine something? You've been listening to Eric Parks with a message for Easter titled, Imagine. Thanks for listening.